Good morning. My name is Maureen Brown, and I serve as uh, on staff here at the Attridge site of Forest Grove, and it's my privilege to bring the message this morning. I do have to say, as I was preparing this message, and then the news came of Cohen's passing on Friday, it kind of rocked me. And I, uh, I thought, Lord, do you want me to change some things? So I know we have some members of the Takama family here with us this morning. I just want you to know that we love you. We are going to do our best to support you. And we're going to trust our Heavenly Father in this. That when he says, come follow me, that he won't take us through things that are too much for us to withstand. So then I come to this series, and I, the follow me, and today... We are going to be in the second message on train one another in obedience. Pastor Bruce talks about um, follow me as being an invitation to living a daily response to Jesus. And at the core of that life is discipleship. So a daily response to Jesus. And I think for myself, what does a daily response to Jesus mean? look like. And I have a picture of what that is, but I also have so many pictures in my, in my mind of when I failed in that daily response to what Jesus had for me. And those things are easy to come to my mind. I can remember those easily. About a year ago, I attended a funeral of a family member in Vancouver. And I had to fly into Abbotsford Airport and Some of you may have experienced this. I'm a pretty relaxed flyer. I don't fly a lot, but I, I have had, lots of, had some opportunity to fly, and I'm, I'm pretty relaxed. But when we approached Abbotsford Airport, there was wind in Abbotsford that I, I had never experienced that on a plane. And so the pilot comes on and goes, you know that, you know, ladies and gentlemen, um, we, uh, we actually can't land right now. We're just going to circle for a bit. Um, there's too much wind. We're going to wait until it's appropriate to land. So we started to circle above the airport. Now, in my, in my mind, I was thinking, oh, okay, this is okay. But it, I've never had that kind of roller coaster ride on a plane. So I'm going, I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, sometimes you say we're going to go higher to get above it. I think, get up, get up, get up, is what I'm thinking. They didn't listen. So I'm looking around, and I notice everyone's getting tense. Everyone's getting tense on the plane. And so I'm thinking, okay, every, everyone's tense here. I, I just, I put my earphones in, and, I, and I, then I look down at my hands, and I see those white knuckles that people talk about just grabbing onto the armrest and then bouncing around. We eventually land, and I'm walking through security, and I'm walking to my sister who's picking me up, and she says, she's got this look on her face, and it's kind of this smirk, but it's kind of like this look of concern. And I said, I said she said, are you, are you okay? And she knew it had been long and uh, landing, but... Are you okay? She said, you're as white as a sheet. And I, I didn't know that my, everything in me had responded that way. So a few days later, I had to fly home. Going to the airport. It's kind of windy again. I felt myself starting to breathe deeper. We got on the plane, thinking everything's fine. Now, I... I I made my connection through Edmonton because I have been rerouted or delayed in Calgary due to weather. So I thought, hey, they're both options there. I'm going to Edmonton this time. 
So we get onto the tarmac and the pilot comes on. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. We're actually not going to be able to take off right now. There's a little bit of wind here, but that's not our main concern. And I'm going, oh, that's not our main concern. Our main concern is there's so much fog in Edmonton. If we get up, we can't land. So, you know, just sit back and relax. We're going to be here a while. So I sit back and relax. I notice that I'm, I'm, I feel myself breathing. I, I, I want to relax. So what do I do? I put my earphones in. I try to distract my mind. My earphones in. I actually get out my laptop because I'm, I'm going to just really focus on something else. About 45 minutes, we take off. We get up. A little bumpy going up, but I'm okay. We get to Edmonton. And then the captain comes on again before we're in Edmonton, before we land, and says, ladies and gentlemen, um, just want you to know, if you think we're flying, if you feel like we're flying in a circle, we are flying in a circle. The fog has descended on Edmonton again, and it's too foggy to land. So there's five planes up here flying in a circle in a holding pattern. We'll let you know when we're getting a little bit of bump, and then they do move up. And I'm going, get up as high as you need to get up. So we're in this holding pattern. I noticed the woman beside me, somewhat tense like I am. But I keep focused on my own mind. Then the captain comes on a little while later and said, ladies and gentlemen, we've been rerouted to Calgary. So we're going to land to Calgary. I should have done that the first place. But we're rerouted to Calgary. Now, as they say that, and I feel the plane kind of getting out of that holding pattern, I notice the lady beside me. And there's tears coming down her face. And so I, I take my head, earphones out, earplugs, and I say, are, are you okay? And she starts to cry more, and she says, actually, I'm not okay. I said, but she said, I can't go to Calgary. I said, oh, well, you can't go to Calgary. I need to get to Regina. And the only connection to Regina is through Edmonton today. I said, well, wh- why, do you, why do you need to get to Regina? She said, my sister is dying, and they've called the family in, and I need to get there. And I know there's not a connection to Regina out of Calgary today. Immediately, I, I just said, how are, how are you doing? Tell me. Tell me about your story. She starts to tell me the story, and she's crying. And I said, how are, how are you all doing? How are you? She said, well, my sister and her family, you know what? They have faith. So they're holding on to that. And I said, what about you? And she said, well, my sister has faith. And they're holding on. I said, what about you? She said, you know what? I don't don't have that. I wish I had that, but I don't have that. I put my arm around her and I said, you know what? It's not by accident that we're sitting together. Because I have that same faith that your sister has. Can I pray for you? She said, yes put my arm around her. We feel ourselves descending into Calgary, and I'm praying. As I'm praying, she's crying, and I'm trying to not pray too loud so that others around here, but I'm praying, and I'm really praying, Lord, will you help my friend here to experience your love in a way and grow in faith in you, just like her sister and her sister's family, so that she can withstand what they're going through. Now, as we're praying and as she's crying, and I didn't pray for the plane to be rerouted. I didn't pray for it. But we heard the announcement and we felt that we're, ladies and gentlemen, we're going back to Edmonton. Now that wasn't a miracle I prayed for, but she got back to Edmonton. And as we're praying and she's saying, thank you, I don't really know how the story ended for her. 
because it just got so busy and crazy. And we got off at Edmonton. All I know that she was in one line as I was going to another line trying to get rerouted. And I waved at her and she did thumbs up. And I'm assuming thumbs up meant I'm going to make it to Regina. But the thing that hit me was, God, did you have to put that plane in a holding pattern so that I would pay attention to what was happening all around me? So that I would be responsive to what you're trying to do in my life and what you're inviting me into in someone else's life. That's what I felt at how I'd failed at that response to what God had. So what does it mean to follow Jesus in a way that creates community and to follow him so we can experience his love and model it to others and train one another in obedience to be obedience that leads us to serving and proclaiming the gospel. That's the series we're in in Follow Me. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. Lord, will you help us to follow you in a way so we can experience your love and obey what you command us to do? And Lord, we know for many of us, obedience doesn't come in the way that we anticipate. And that happened for the Takama family this week. And so Lord, I just pray that you would help us to fully surrender to your plans for us. And Lord, I just pray that you'd open up our hearts and minds to what you want to teach us this morning through your word. May the things of you be the things that stick and stay. Pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen. So our lead pastor in the introduction to this series, Follow Me, he he said that we follow a person and not a set of rules. But last week, Pastor Kevin introduced the third step in training one another in obedience, and he showed us that long list of commands of Christ. So how do we do this when we follow a person, but yet there are commands that we want to follow? Well, this morning, as we dig deeper into the obedience in Christ, we're going to look at the example of Jesus and see how did Jesus disciple those that followed him while he was on earth. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 16, 13 to 17? (coughs) I'm going to read this passage there. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied and said, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. The Matthew 16 passage is kind of, uh, kind of like a final assessment for the disciples under Jesus' teaching. Jesus had trained his followers, and he knew his followers were going to be training others. So he needed to know, do they get it? Do they understand From that moment on, Jesus started preaching and telling them about what was to come. When he knew they got it, he started telling them. They had been called by Jesus. The words, follow me, had been said to each of them, and they had followed. In his book, Making Disciples Jesus' Way, Doug Greenwald, an expert on biblical context, states how important it is to understand how the disciples would have received the words, follow me, in first century Jewish culture. So if you just go with me, we're going to go on a little trip about what it means to be a boy in first century Jewish culture. 
All boys dreamt of following a rabbi. Every boy dreamt that maybe I would be chosen to follow a rabbi. At age five, they study the Torah at the local synagogue. At age eight, nine, and ten, they study the wisdom literature and the historical literature. And they study because they want to be chosen. It's not a chore. They are studying because they hope to be chosen. At 11, 12, and 13, they study prophetic literature at the local synagogue. And then at 13, after they are bar mitzvahed, local rabbis look at them and they say, who looks promising? And every boy hopes that they look promising. And so if they're chosen, local rabbis would go to the father with the son and say, your son shows great promise. He should study for two more years. And then they study hard for two more years, and they dig into more of the word. And they don't just study the word to know what it says. They're studying what does it mean, because they want to be chosen. Several more assessments and opportunities happen for them. If they're not chosen, this is what happens. If they're not chosen to go on, they're sent back to run their family business, to work with the father in their family business, which actually means something when we think of the fishermen. So they're sent back to work in their family's business. Ages 17 to 20, if chosen, it's a great honor because that meant they were going to follow a rabbi, a prestigious rabbi, for three years. And they had to pick their rabbi carefully because many rabbis had different things they focused on. So they would pick. When they chose their rabbi, they would go with their father and they would ask the rabbi. They would say, Rabbi, my son, it was Johan, my son Johan would like to follow you. Then the rabbi would say, he needs to walk with me for a few weeks. They would walk together, the rabbi and the the one that wants to be chosen by this rabbi, they would walk together. And if in those few weeks or those two weeks, the rabbi felt this is the one, he would turn to him and he would say the words, follow me. That follow me carried such great weight because it meant two things. It meant come and be with me 24-7 me, but it also meant come and submit to my authoritative teaching. No questioning, completely, unilaterally, the two had to go together. A blessing was given, and you may have heard this. I love this phrase, this blessing that would go as they, as they followed that rabbi. It, would be, it was, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. What that meant, may you walk so closely that, and may you listen and be so in tune that as he's walking, that dust is all over you because may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. So the first disciples that were called, these fishermen, we know from that story, they weren't chosen to be part of that. They were running family businesses. They were fishermen. So when Jesus said the words, follow me to them, they knew what those words meant and they knew he sees value in me. He believes I could be a disciple of his. And then Jesus taught them as they walked along. The teaching ministry of Jesus, the Greek word for it is called parapateo. Parapateo is a word for walk, but it's more than walk. It's walking with purpose, walking with looking for opportunity, walking with teaching, walking to grow. And this Greek word parapateo occurs 95 times in the New Testament in relation to this type of Walking along, learning as Jesus walked along and teaching as Jesus. So they walked along. The disciples learned to pray by watching Jesus pray. 
The disciples learned to witness by watching him witness. They learned to demonstrate healing faith by watching Jesus heal. They learned what compassion looked like, and sometimes they were surprised by that. They learned what love looked like, and sometimes they didn't understand. They learned how to live a life, peripateo, by walking and talking with Jesus. 1 John 2, 3-6 says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Other translations say, must walk in the same manner as he walked. Parapateo. Must walk in the same manner. Colossians 2, 6, three different translations. In the NLT, it says, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. That means more than just, hey, let's go for a walk, follow me. In NIV, it says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus, your Lord, continue to live your lives in him. And in New American Standard, it says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. So if we're going to live as disciples of Jesus Day, we must aim for a lot more than believing a set of doctrines and following the rules of our faith. The list of commands is essential. It's essential. That's what they learned before they wanted to follow the rabbi. They learned that. But we must go deeper and consider what's happening inside. Are we moving closer to Christ? Are we living in daily response to him? Jesus himself said when a disciple is fully trained, he becomes like his teacher. 1 Corinthians 11.1 says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Another translation, As you should imitate me, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. To imitate means to know him. We want to know him now. We need to be reading our Bibles. We need to be studying and reading our Bibles. We're not going to get to know him. We want to be with him, but we need to study. What can we know about him? David Platt and Francis Chan wrote a book about discipleship called Multiply. I just want to read one uh, portion of what they said in that book. Whatever the case, we have to understand that studying the Bible isn't optional. If we want to be disciples who love and obey Jesus, then we need to actually know about what God is like from what he's done in history and what he's promised to do in the future. God in heaven wants us to know certain things about himself, and he uses the scripture to reveal those things. This past week, a man named Eugene Peterson passed away as well. And Eugene Peterson was the author of the Message Bible and many other incredible works. Eugene Peterson says this about reading the Bible. He says, don't read the Bible looking for just information. It provides lots of good information, but he says, read it looking for a relationship. It's the focus of that relationship and that obedience that led me to ask someone to share a story today. Led me to ask our moderator, Jim Davidson. He shared a story at gathering in July that moved people. And it moved me. It was a story of obedience, a story of following God and taking a step that seems kind of scary, but doing it in obedience to him. So I'm going to ask Jim, could you come up? Thank you, Jim, for being willing to do this. Now, I just need to tell you that I I asked Jim in front of Clint McDonald, just a little (laughs) extra pressure there, (laughs) worked for my favor. And so Jim, thank you so much for being willing to share this story. I, I need to tell you personally, I was touched by your story. And I remember saying after that to Bruce Enns, I said, Jim needs to share that story with the congregation. 
So, Jim, can you tell us a little bit about the story you heard shared at Gathering 28, the story that was modeled for you, the story that you heard about... Um... Well, as you may aware, be aware that over the last four years, I've had the honor to serve with the Canadian Conference of MD Churches. Part of that responsibility and expectation was to attend the study sessions and gathering and uh, stand up in front of the people and make a little bit of a, uh, a speech. So, of course, I had to attend, and as you're aware... Gathering 2018 was here at Forest Grove, and on Thursday night, Pastor Bruce was the keynote speaker. So, of course, I'm sure a lot of you were probably here to hear that. Uh, and also, a fellow by the name of Paul Duick, who is a leader of the MB Church in Brazil, was here, and he was providing a testimony. And with all due respect to Pastor Bruce, it was Paul's testimony that really made an impact on me. Mm -hmm. So, um, Jim, can you tell us what was it in that story that Paul shared that really spoke to you? As Paul was uh, going through his testimony of how he became the leader of the MB conference in Brazil, uh, he had a lot of discernment and things that he was talking about. And I remember I was sitting over there. He was on, on stage here and he was talking. He was on his knees mm -hmm. and he was telling a story about he, how he and God were discerning what he should be doing. And what was really amazing, it wasn't just that he heard God, but he was having a conversation. They were arguing back and forth. And even, he said, even to the point where they were telling jokes to each other. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there and I said, you know, to myself, well, it's pretty amazing. You know, I've never had a conversation with God that was like that. And it was so impactful. I actually went home and talked to Colleen and I, I said, you know, you know, this is pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. I think that story impacted a lot of us, Jim. But can you tell us what happened to you that night? Well, that night I went home and I was preparing because the next morning I had to stand up here and give a, a presentation. And in my role, it's kind of a business financial type presentation. And to be perfectly honest, I had been struggling for about two weeks writing this presentation because with the topic of one, I kept reading this thing over and over. And I'm saying, you know, how does this really apply to the message that uh, we are trying to present to the to the conference, the Canadian conference, and <clears throat> so anyway, I was really struggling. But at three o'clock in the morning, I woke up as clear as a bell, and all I heard was "throw away the notes." You know, I heard that; it registered, and I went back to sleep and slept like a baby. <laughs> So, Jim, you had one of those conversations with God. And so what did you do next day at the conference? Well, the next morning I woke up and it was still very clear in my mind what was going on. Uh, there was part of me that sort of felt a little bit nervous. But the reality of it was I was really terrified. I, was, I had no idea what to do. Uh, so, but anyway, uh, I... Left my, I did bring my notes to the church. I'm just telling you, I brought my notes to the church, and they sat in my briefcase at the back. I walked up here in the front. I kind of related this story, and then I talked for about 20 minutes. I remember that, Jim. I remember feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit really heavy in the room when you shared. I remember how that touched me. So can you tell us a little bit about what that felt like? How did you feel? Um, the first feeling was being terrified. Because my model is, I like to have my notes in front of me. I'm, you're always talking about facts and data. So for me, in the way my brain thinks, 
I like to have that stuff right in front of me, and I didn't. And so when I came to the church that morning, um, I related this story to my good friend J.P. Hayashida, who I worked with. And for those of you who might know J.P., that man can pray. <laughs> so he prayed, and, uh, and all of a sudden you kind of get that peace. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling, but when I mm -hmm. walked up here, the, the terror was gone. The peace was there, but, you know, I still didn't really know what I was going to say mm -hmm. to the minute I started talking. Mm -hmm. And then you started talking, and someone said a comment to you at the end. Well, actually, to be, I didn't, I do not remember one word of what I said <laughs> after that point. It was a great financial presentation. <laughs> <laughs> so what I did, I did get affirmation uh, about it after. And, in fact, one person came up to me, and he says, he said, Jim, that was amazing. You turned a bunt into a three-bagger. So to this day, I have no idea what yeah, that meant. Yeah, but yeah. at the end of the day, you know, it, yeah. um, I think the message was one more of the obedience than what was in the 20-minute message. Absolutely. I would so agree. The message was in the obedience. Jim, it spoke to so many, and thank you for sharing it here. Jim's not one that would want to get up and say, hey, look at me. This took some coaxing to get him to share this, so I'm really thankful. Will you thank Jim as he goes down? So when Jim was obedient in that way, I believe there were so many people that looked at that and like Paul had mod modeled it for Jim, Jim modeled it for others. But Jim also had the presence of the Holy Spirit, the peace that came with that prayer. In Acts 1.8 it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's a verse in John 14 that says, If you love me, obey my commands. It doesn't say, if you love me. Maybe, you know, every once in a while, could you kind of like look like you're obeying something? Could you have like a partial obedience or maybe a token obedience? It says, if you love me, obey my commands. And those that obey are the ones who truly love. And then he says, and I will love you and reveal myself to you. I always like go to that verse. What does it mean, reveal myself to you? You know, I, I truly believe in Jim's wanting what that man had and wanting more of Jesus in the middle of the night. God woke him up at three in the morning and said, I want to talk to you. He will reveal himself. He will show it. I, I believe if I would have had more focus on what God was doing, I wouldn't have so ignored the lady beside me in the plane at the beginning. I would have been saying, will we, will we mess up? Yes, we will. But if we love him, we want to obey. And remember, there's two parts to follow me. And the first part is come and be with me. And I think we like that part. Oh, because it sounds kind of warm and beautiful and precious. Come and be with me. I think sometimes we struggle with the second part that says, submit to my teaching. Obey my teaching fully. Full surrender. And that's why when I think of people like the Takamas and others that are going through such incredibly hard things, fully surrendering, you understand that. Matter of fact, you understand that so much that you think, I don't even know what, how he's going to get me through this. But we need to know that the same God that brought you to it, he will bring you through it. And we need to pray for each other. We need to be that community for each other as we obey. 
I'm going to ask the worship band to come up. And I want to just leave you with a couple of questions. Because I would never get up here in front and talk and share if I didn't truly believe that just like Jim had a message from God, that you have messages that that the Holy Spirit is the true teacher. Not me. I, I would never do this if I had to think it was me. So I know that God's Spirit is whispering to you. I know he's whispering to you, and if you're going through things, you're thinking, I don't know how I'm going to do this. God's Spirit is whispering to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you need to make a decision that that you don't know which way to go, he's saying, I will help you with that decision. If you're involved in something you shouldn't be involved in, he will say, I want you out of there. I will help you. I will help you on the path to restoration and back to me. Are there areas of your life that you've kind of sometimes said that's off limits? I can invite you to say, in a fully surrendered life, submitting to God, nothing is off limits. So what could it look like for us to be covered in the dust of our rabbi? And more than our rabbi, he's the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He's the one that rose from the dead. So he's more than just a good teacher. He's the ultimate rabbi. What would it look like to be covered in that dust? To have Christ all around us, in us, on us, upon us, that people would see that as we walk along. What does obedience like that look like? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, I know that there are people here that, These people aren't here by accident. Lord, I know that you have messages for each one of us. And so, Lord, I just pray that as they are hearing those whispers from your spirit, Lord, that in our hearts we can say, I want to be with you. I want to follow you. And, Lord, I want to obey you. Will you help me in that obedience? And there's many different messages going across this sanctuary. Thank you, Lord, that you have one individually for each of us. Lord, will you be with those people in those messages. Lord, will you help them to take the steps they need to take? We love you, Lord, and we truly do want to be covered in the dust of you. We have you all over us. Thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.